Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, the crew sprinkles us with knowledge as they take on the sacrament of baptism. What will these three recovering Baptists have to say about pedo-baptism, our role in the covenant community, and most importantly, bathtub baptism? Make sure you keep listening after the podcast to learn how to receive a free MP3 by Sinclair Ferguson about the modern trajectory of baptism. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the regular podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Well, it's great to uh, be with my friends Carl and Amy once again today. We're uh, in a secret bunker somewhere outside of Washington, D.C. on the Virginia side, which is the best part of the area. And we've just been talking a little bit about baptism and uh, just some kind of funny baptism stories. There are, by the way, funny baptism stories. And uh, Carl, I thought you heard something quite interesting from a an acquaintance of yours. Uh, why don't you share that real quick? Yeah, I don't have many acquaintances who no, are no. former pastors of large evangelical <laughs> churches, uh, but one of them was telling me just recently, hmm. actually, about a strange incident at the church which he used to pastor I see. Uh, at, where a lady in his congregation actually baptized somebody in their bathtub. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> what? You're a recovering, like I am to yes, some extent, yes. a recovering Baptist, yeah, Todd. Why yeah. do you think that's crazy? Wow. Well, let's see. So for just a, a lay person, for her to take somebody to the, the bathroom in her home and, and baptize in the bathtub, that sounds uh, ludicrous, although there is evidence that such things have, have happened. Well, why that's crazy is any number of reasons. First of all, uh, baptism is a sacrament of the church. Um, it ought to be in the company of God's people, the gathered congregation of a local church under the watchful care of the elders of the church. Um, it's not an individual devotional experience, which is oftentimes how it's treated. Uh, that's kind of the way I thought of, in fact, that's not kind of the way I thought of baptism. That was the way I thought of baptism growing up, oddly enough, in a Baptist church. I reflect back on that, and it doesn't seem that baptism was, and I want to be careful here, it doesn't seem that baptism was as important as far as a corporate event and a means of grace. In fact, I never heard it explained as a means of grace. Let me ask you guys a question then kind of related about it being an experience. Yeah. Um, one Baptist church that my husband and I went to for a while at the beginning of our marriage made it such an experiential thing that... Um, they would have the person that maybe led this person to Christ do the baptizing. So um, what would you guys say about the, um, the office and, and the person doing the baptizing? Yeah, so I saw a lot of that growing up as well. I saw dads invited to baptize their children. And, um, of course, I, I no longer think the same way about that as I used to because I, I see that baptism is – uh, a means of grace done under the authority of the church for initiation into the church and ought to be administered by the officers um, of the church because of that. Um, there's something really, uh, um, a high level of accountability, therefore, I think, in those who, um, who 
who baptize, who lead in baptism, just as, as, as those who would lead in the distribution of the Lord's Supper. It's an extension in some ways of, of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church, because as sacraments, they take place under the preaching of the word. Carl, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think you could answer that question in isolation. It clearly connects to your broader understanding of church polity, authority, the issue of things being done decently and in order Mm -hmm. within the church. That is not to say that it it, it might be possible in certain extreme circumstances Mm -hmm. for uh, something unusual to be done that one wouldn't normally allow within the the, the consistent ministry of the church in normal circumstances. I could see a situation, for example, where, let's say, during a time of persecution that a a minister was imprisoned in a cell with another man who came to profess faith and wanted to be baptized. Uh, Would it be legitimate for the minister to baptize in in a non-congregational context there? Uh, That sort of scenario, though, is so extreme and unusual that I think we can't take that as providing normative guidelines right. for what we would do right. regularly. Clearly, church membership, uh, who is in the visible church, is a matter of responsibility which falls heavily on the shoulders of the overseers, mm-hmm. those whom Paul talks about in First Timothy as being uh, put in place to oversee the health and well-being of the church, mm-hmm. and therefore maverick baptisms, random baptisms, random Lord's suppers, these yeah. kind of things are to be strongly discouraged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we we hear the stories of uh, singles retreats or youth retreats where they'll have a baptism service out at a swimming pool or the beach or something like that away from uh, the gathered community and and away from the watchful care of of the officers of the church. And, you know, those things were just kind of ubiquitous in my growing up. I I never thought to to question that. Now, the three of us here are are Presbyterians. And, And let me just say, um, I was raised Baptist. I came to Christ in a Baptist church. I heard the gospel in the Baptist church. Uh, Carl, same way. Amy, I don't know if you were raised a Baptistic raised person, a Baptist. right? Yeah. So, so all three of us here are grateful for the Baptists that were in our lives growing up who led us to Christ, and we're still grateful for our Baptist brothers and sisters. I, I say all that just so that to, to minimize the hate mail. Mm-hmm. Um, that Carl will get. And um, <laughs> well, I, I, actually, I would just point out that what I've stated thus far is entirely consistent with Reformed Baptist practice. I'm not going to speak for all Baptists at this point, but the Reformed Baptists are very clear in their confessional documents that it is to be those who are set aside uh, in positions of leadership who are to administer baptism. Second London Confession, Baptist 1689 Confession, chapter 28, paragraph 2 reads, these holy appointments, talking about the baptism of the Lord's Supper here, these holy appointments are to be administered only by those who are qualified and called to administer them according to the commission of Christ. Mm-hmm. So some of the excesses that one reads about yeah. in some of the, the wackier end of the Southern right. Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. uh, those are not things that one would typically find in Reformed Baptist exactly. circles. I should just stress at this point, I'm not saying this just to appeal the Reformed Baptists out there. <laughs> I'm saying it because it's true. It's true. Uh, I have no desire to, to bash Reformed Baptists. Well, I do desire to bash them, but, <laughs> but generally where I feel they need to be bashed, not where I actually agree right. with them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I want to make the point that we need to distinguish between Baptistic practice here. Exactly. Because there are Baptist churches out there like self-identified Reformed Baptist churches who are very careful to um, comply with their confession of faith. And interestingly enough, even as you point out there, Carl, um, 
Reformed Baptists who actually um, uh, comply with uh, one of the older Baptist confessions of faith are much closer in baptism as far as its application to believers um, with Presbyterians than they are with a lot of manifestations of modern Baptistic life, uh, where people get baptized, and then a couple years later they pray the prayer again, and this time they really mean it, and they get rebaptized again, and on and on it goes. You won't find a lot of that in Reformed Baptist churches. Yeah, I mean, let me read you uh, chapter 29, paragraph 1. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be to the person who is baptized, a sign of his fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into Christ, of remission of sins, and of that person's giving up of himself to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. There's, with the exception, perhaps, uh, of wanting to put maybe a little bit of a qualification or, or two in there, by and large, I think a Presbyterian can yep. say amen to that. Absolutely. What comes through in that paragraph is that baptism is rooted in the unilateral gracious action of God. Right. It's not a human response. Right. It's not a wet profession right. of faith. We receive baptism. Yeah. God is the agent in this. Right. And I think that's what binds Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists right. together over against other kind of Baptists. Right, right. A Reformed Baptist might want to avoid the use of the word sacrament, but actually how they describe baptism is in many ways very close to a Presbyterian's definition of sacrament yeah. um, as, as a gracious action on God's part that, uh, that we receive. I'm finding this an interesting conversation, too, because... We don't often talk about what we have in common right. with the Baptists on mm-hmm. this. And, um, and we're talking about baptism, interestingly. Right, we're talking about, mm-hmm. and you know, with the parachurch organizations uh, trying to be more unified in uh, the gospel and coming together, we've kind of ignored baptism, and we think maybe to discuss it together would cause division, mm-hmm. and I think it's maybe led to Christians thinking that baptism isn't important. Right, right. I think that's, I think that's a really good point. And so in our... Um, associations with other gospel-committed churches, um, we need to also be very careful that we don't communicate um, that baptism is unimportant because we hold it to be very important to, to the extent that it would be one of the chief reasons why Reformed Baptists and Reformed Presbyterians don't have churches together. Um, so, so it comes to the question of why do Presbyterians then baptize their babies? Because this is for so many, such a huge step. The three of us here began in Baptistic traditions for which we're grateful, but Mm -hmm. we eventually became Presbyterian and that step of changing our view on baptism was, I'm sure for all three of us, a huge change. When was that eventual for you, Todd? Because I know for me it was just about 10 years ago. Yeah, just a few years ago for me. I, I, I moved from being typical, you know, love Jesus, Southern Baptist, to then embracing the doctrines of grace, which was incredibly disruptive in my life, um, to then later um, seeing the continuity of the covenants. And um, so probably just about five years ago, um, my, my, my change in thinking really happened in regard to... Uh, uh, to baptism, and and embraced uh, the legitimacy of of baptizing our infants as Christian biblical uh, baptism. And clear in, in in a podcast like this, we can't give a full theology of baptism um, and and why Presbyterians baptize their babies, but we certainly can can give a few of the broad categories as to why 
uh, we do that. A lot of it's grounded in the continuity of the covenants, mm-hmm. that uh, the covenant with Abraham and its covenantal sign um, was a covenant of grace, just like we have under Christ, but under Christ, it's, it's the new covenant, the, the new administration of, of the covenant of grace. And one of the things that was really compelling for me, and I'd be interested to hear you all's thoughts on this, was, um, in fact, it was kind of one of the final um, uh, things that, that, that pulled me over to this side, was the fact that uh, the New Testament does not tell us um, to not it doesn't doesn't command us to stop giving our children the sign of the covenant. It, that, that, that's an argument from silence, but it's a deafening silence. Right. Well, it leads to a bigger question, I think. Like, are Christian children different? Are they different from other children? And and that's huge because what I and that was a big piece for me because I was raised in a baptistic home. My parents instinctively knew that there would be something different about a child born into a Christian home than a child born into a non-Christian home. Um, we have, you know, we, we, you know, Baptists came up with the idea of baby dedications for that very reason, because there's what I would call, there's, there's, a, there's a biblical instinct, if you like, that points them to the fact that they don't treat their own children like the reprobate. Mm-hmm. Yes, they know that their children, just like a Presbyterian would say, needs to come to confess Christ as Lord. But they recognized instinctually that God has given proactive grace to that child by placing him or her in a Christian home. And I think 1 Corinthians seven fourteen for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his yeah. wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be made unclean, but as it is, they are holy. They are holy. They are Th- that's holy. a remarkable statement. Mm-hmm. really is. Yeah, I think there are certain texts in the New Testament that become easier once one's yes. a, a Peter Baptist. Yes. I would say that you know, it, that's not the case for every text. Whether you're a Baptist or a Peter Baptist, there are going to be some difficult texts that you have to handle. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, my my path to being a Presbyterian was, first of all, I wrestled with polity issues. Uh, and then when I had children, it raised questions for me that I'd never had to face before in terms of do I pray with my children? Do I pray for my children? Uh, what status do I do my children have? It sent me back to the scriptures uh, wrestling with that. And then finally things came to a head in, in about 1998 when, 1999, I was uh, elected an elder at the Presbyterian Church where I was a member. And I really had to, to make a decision uh, there and then. Was I going to be one thing or the other? But I would say household baptisms, the way that children are talked about, for example, in the epistles of John. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you know, there's the key exegetical crux. I think uh, Colossians uh, 2.11 yes. talks about circumcision and baptism. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I know that there is a debate about whether that's, you know, whether the text is really saying what it appears right. to be saying there. But then when you connect that to, uh, to Romans 4, uh, particularly uh, Romans 4.10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign yes. of circumcision as a seal, etc., etc. But circumcision doesn't just go to Abraham, it goes to right. his male children right. as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that a key exegetical defense of infant baptism mm-hmm. would really rest upon Colossians 2 and Romans mm-hmm. 4. Mm-hmm. And I know that the, the, the Peter Baptist... Uh, interpretation of those texts is contested, but that's where exegetically, I think, right. one ultimately has to. Right. And just the mere fact that um, you, Scripture addresses children. Absolutely. And so yeah. if why is Paul giving any instruction to children if they're not part of the covenant community? Exactly. And see, and this that was huge for yeah. me 
in 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 seeing how nothing changed from the older covenant practice and the new covenant yeah. practice of clearly identifying the children of Christians as recipients of covenant promises as members at least visibly yeah. of the covenant community mm-hmm. yeah which leads to more practical um contemporary issue you know what we believe about baptism and children i think really affects whether or not we include them in worship with us sure. yeah. and so sure. you know that's a, an issue in the church right now is um should children be included in the worship service right. yeah i find it quite bizarre if a member of baptist friends have asked me you know what, what do you think about this integrated worship yeah. i said well, what do you mean by that <laughs> it seems to mean everybody's at the same worship service. Right. So I'm saying, oh, you mean like what we always do <laughs> right. at Cornerstone? We don't uh, think about that. Right. If, if your children are very, very small, there's a nursery, but if they're able to sit and listen to the Word, we expect parents to have right. children in the congregation listening to the Word. Right. Uh, are they going to understand everything they hear? Absolutely not. Are they going to understand something? Yes. Are they going to understand that church is something serious and important Absolutely. And that they are too. Yeah. 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 And just as an aside, I'd say, you know, all of this stuff about we're losing our young people, Mm -hmm. maybe some churches are losing their young people because their parents never teach them that going to church is important in the first place. Well, I had a friend actually tell me that the church she's going to now does not allow cell phones or children in the worship service. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, my jaw just dropped. Yeah, well, the stories out there are... People wouldn't... Well, the stories out there seem to be growing that of of people's experiences in certain, oftentimes mega churches, where children under a certain age are just simply not allowed. For the same reason that you, uh, unfortunately, I think the reasoning goes the same, that you wouldn't allow a young child into a uh, a, a concert because they were just going to be disruptive. Well, you know what? Sometimes they are. Now, didn't somebody once say, suffer the little children to yeah, come I unto think, me? I, think I suspect little children may have been just as disruptive in the first century. That, exactly. The, the name eludes me, but I'm, yes, I'm sure I've read exactly. it somewhere. Was it exactly. Jesus Christ? So oftentimes on the baptism issue, our, our, Baptist, our, our Baptist brothers and sisters will say, nowhere in the New Testament are we told to baptize our babies. Now, I would contest that, first of all, but I would also concede that there's not a, a, a very simple go-to verse that says, here's why all Christians should baptize their infants. But for me, then, that ended up proving the point, which was we're never told to stop giving our children right. the sign of the covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, the New Testament is very careful to point out all of the things that do change, given, yeah. that have changed mm-hmm. from the abolition of the temple system to the abolition of the dietary codes you get these special revelations and dreams the apostles were, were given from God to show just all of the radical changes in their worship practice because of the death and resurrection of Christ. One thing that is conspicuously absent is any notion that children should stop receiving the sign of the covenant. Or, and that was key to Israel's worship and life, is yes. that their infants and in the case of circumcision, their infant males receive the sign of the covenant. If that was to change, they would require really clear commands to stop giving their children the sign of the covenant. And what scripture do we have showing a child that was raised in a Christian home that was not baptized until after their profession of Mm -hmm, faith? mm -hmm. And that's, that's again, is, is that 
while there's not this super, super helpful single verse that says it, there is textual evidence, very much textual evidence. Well, the household evidence. was baptized. Absolutely, absolutely. First John uh, 2, 12 to 14, where Paul, uh, Paul, where John <laughs> goes through the... Uh, uh, the categories of people he's talking to directly. Yes. Little children and children are mentioned there. Mm. It's hard to read that passage with Baptist optics, I think. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. one, one could do it, but I think right. one is is distorting the passage yeah. at that point. You're not taking the natural flow of what's right. going exactly. on. Exactly, exactly. And again, um, uh, p- part of our understanding of this is is related to the nature of the the, the sign of the covenant. So, where, where where our Baptist brothers would say would would see much less continuity between circumcision and baptism. We we see very much a, a, a level of continuity. The the old covenant sign being that of removing what is sinful and fleshly, so to speak, under the new covenant, because that's already been done in Christ. Now we get this symbol of water and washing and sprinkling, which brings up everything from washing of sin and cleansing to the sprinkling of the blood of Christ to the, to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's very clearly the sign of the new covenant. What I love in um, Daniel Hyde's book, Jesus Loves the Little yes. Children, Why We Baptize Children, is in his dedication, it says, May the waters of baptism ever remind you to look back upon our Red Sea, the precious blood of the Son of God, and forward to the spiritual land of Canaan. Mm. I think that just gives you that continuity there in the dedication that he gives in his book. Baptism speaks of judgment as well as as grace. Well, that was an important point for Mm -hmm. me. Um, That was a big part of my um, game changer. And he talks about that in his book, too, just um, that baptism is also a sign of the curse and Mm -hmm. constant consecration for those who walk away from the faith so rejecting what their baptism signified becomes then a sign and a seal of their judgment as covenant breakers right yeah Yeah. that's serious Mm -hmm. indeed i never thought about that before right yeah i would commend danny hyde's little book it's the one we give away at cornerstone Mm -hmm. to anybody asking about baptism but i would also recommend john fesco's word water and spirit uh, mm-hmm. Which is published yep. by I think Reformation Heritage Books. It is, and is a a more scholar. Danny's is a great pastoral treatment for people, for lay people interested in the subject. John gives a very very thorough mm-hmm. uh, treatment of the the scholarly history of the of the doctrine of baptism and also the the exegetical and theological foundations of it. So those two yeah. books very much. Yeah, those are both worth consulting. Yep, exactly, those are both outstanding. And would would encourage you uh, to uh, to read those if you're if you're struggling with the issue and like would like to know more. Um, one 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 last little related topic before we before we wrap up is the idea of rebaptism. Mm. Now double um, dipping. Double dipping. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so I, I grew up where I, where I routinely saw people baptized a second time, and I don't mean baptized as a Roman Catholic infant and then coming into a Baptist church and being baptized as a believer. I mean, being baptized in a Baptist church when they were six or seven, then later in youth group at youth camp, they pray a prayer and this time they really mean it. So you got to get baptized <laughs> yeah. again. And, and it was not unusual at all to have lots yeah. of my friends having been baptized twice, in some cases, three times. Wow. Yeah, I think that's nonsense. It is. I think it points clearly towards the idea of it's the human response 
yeah. that makes baptism effective. Right. It doesn't do justice to any of the New Testament teaching on baptism. No. And I think I'd the Reformed Baptists... every day then, really, if you think yeah. about it. Oh, sure, exactly. I, I think the Reformed Baptists would probably stand with us on yes. that. Oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. sort of yep. One baptism after another is not good because God is the agent in right. baptism. Right. And I think it also pastorally robs people from the comfort mm. that comes from mm. baptism. Right. Yeah. right. Now, you know, some Baptists respond, yeah, well, what comfort can you have? You were baptized as an infant. Yeah. Well, actually, I was double-dipped. I was baptized as <laughs> an adult as well. But to those who were baptized as infants, Martin Luther would say, well, are you comforted by the fact that your mother's your mother? Well, yes, I am. Yeah. Do you remember her giving birth right. to you? No, I don't. So what possible comfort right. could it be that your mother's your mother? Right. I think the, the idea that our memory of our baptism has to be yes. uh, what gives us comfort is... Is is bogus? Yeah, you know one of the one of the fun things for me, if I can use that word fun, as a Presbyterian pastor, <laughs> when I baptize a baby, one of the things I love to do at that point, and 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 it goes along with our book of church order, is to also in that moment speak to the congregation, those who have been baptized as well, and call them to remember once again mm-hmm. in this in that moment their own baptism. There's there's a there's a preachment to mm-hmm. to our baptism where it continually speaks and calls us to remember the covenant obligations uh, that we have as recipients of grace. And so in that sense, our, our baptism continues to preach to us. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we call the congregation at that point to pray for the child and for the mm-hmm. parents. It is a Absolutely. wonderful communal corporate thing. Yeah. It is not about one man and water. It's yeah. about the congregation itself holding up this young family holding up this child and calling on the Lord to yep. honor yep. the covenant of grace. Exactly. With re- That's one of the reasons, the incidentally, why I appreciate Baptist churches that refuse to do baby dedications. Yeah. Uh, because they understand mm-hmm. that a baby dedication is basically a dry baptism. Yeah. It's, it's, it's appealing to a passage where, where Samuel was presented in the temple dedicated to God. And immediately then, of course, the yeah. text goes on to say he, he received the sign of the covenant. They just leave that part yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, fish or cut bait, right. as you Americans would say. Either, <laughs> exactly. Either baptize them or don't, but don't do right. any kind of uh, Where did that ever dedication. come from? Right, right. So, Mrs. Bird, do you have any last words of wisdom for the audience before mm-hmm. we uh, sign off I think off I dropped all my wisdom <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd probably agree with that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't do too badly this time. Yeah. Didn't do too, the girl's improving, I yeah. think, Tom. Yeah. The girl is definitely improving. Exactly. I'm personally uh, going to be on the watch... Uh, on, on the watch for for anybody in my church that might be doing uh, baptisms in their bathroom. Bathtubs, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll call a halt to that. That's a concern. Certainly that wouldn't happen, though. <laughs> not, in, not in today's PCA. No, I'm sure oh, one could be not, thoroughly confident of that. Well, maybe we yeah. should end by saying for the promises for you and for your children. Yes. Yeah. And for all who are far off. And that's really good news for our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in exploring the issue further, we've already mentioned the Danny Hyde and the John Fesco books to you. Can't commend those highly enough. We also suggest that you go to the Mortification of Spin website, mos.org, for a free MP3 download. Uh, in the meantime, we look forward to being with you next time when I'm sure you will all be convinced pedo-baptists. Thank you so much for joining us. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, 
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold to the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Don't forget to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and there you can download a message by Sinclair Ferguson entitled, The Westminster Doctrine of Baptism and Current Reformed Trajectories. We know you'll enjoy Dr. Ferguson's solid teaching and Scottish accent as he guides us through a behind-the-scenes look at the doctrines and liturgy of baptism from the Westminster Assembly to today. Make sure to get this MP3 to find out what Dr. Ferguson's favorite Petabaptist publication title is. Join us next week on the program when the gang will discuss Daniel Block's book, For the Glory of God. You know, we like to say, well, God is looking at our hearts. But that, um, you know, he says God looks at our hearts and our actions, that they go together. Driving the reader's attention back to, to worship needs to be first and foremost framed in terms of scriptural patterns, structures, and teaching. I, I do appreciate the, the rigorous exegesis that's in the book. And that's a strength. This book is overwhelming. How are we going to talk about it? We'll find out next week on Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. And don't forget to go to our website and get your free download. How to grow your faith uh, in? Sorry, I messed that up. Haven't I? <laughs> Two I, I, I'm confused as to. Can, can you can you re-edit? What, what are we giving away? Can, just giving away why baptism. Okay, can we can we redo that that segment again? Keep the stuff trashing Amy in. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Okay.